Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. A good bit of the work that I do here at St. John's Church is uh, working with couples to prepare them for uh, their wedding day, to prepare for a, a wedding service either here at St. John's or in some other place. And uh, when I'm asked to officiate or preach at a wedding, I'll from time to time tell, uh, tell a story, and I wanted to share that uh, story with you. I heard this story um, several years ago, first from Barney Hawkins, who teaches at Virginia Seminary in Alexandria, and I, uh, I loved it. It's always stuck with me. So here's, here's the story. It's a story about a pastor in a small town. The pastor was working in his office one day when he got a call from a, a local retirement community. The social worker on the line said that she had two elderly residents who were preparing to marry each other, but they didn't have a minister to officiate, and so she was asking if this minister would uh, be willing to do the service for them. Of course, the pastor said, but he just wanted to come and meet the couple uh, first and hear a bit about why they wanted to get married so late in life. He drove to the nursing home and sat down with the woman first, and he said something like, tell, tell me why you want to marry this man. And she said to him, he makes me very happy. Uh, she said something like, I didn't expect to fall in love again so late in life, but when I'm with him, I feel uh, very whole, very special. The pastor then walked across the hall to the elderly man's room, and he sat down with him, and he, he said something very similar. Tell me, tell me why you want to marry this, this woman. And the pastor said that at first the man didn't say anything, so he started to ask some, some probing questions. He said first, is, is she a nice person, he asked. And the elderly man responded and said something like, yeah, she's, she's nice enough. The minister said, does she, have, does she have lots of money? Is that why you're marrying her? And the man said, oh no, I doubt that she, she has much money at all. Is she a good, a good Christian woman, a good person of faith? The minister asked. And the man responded and said, I'm, I'm not really sure. Uh, the minister said, well, do you love her? And he said the man thought for a little while and then responded and said, yeah, I guess, I guess so. I guess I love her. And the minister was very puzzled at this point, and so he finally said to the man, why, why do you want to marry this woman? And the pastor said that without hesitating at all, the man looked at him and said, well, she can drive at night. <laughs> there are a whole lot of reasons why couples get married. Some of them are good, and some of them maybe aren't as good as other reasons, uh, but weddings are always, they're always a big deal. Think about your own wedding if you're married, or about your kid's wedding, or just a wedding that you've attended. They typically are very expensive. Even a small wedding uh, can be quite costly. Not only are there costs associated with the ceremony itself, but think about the rehearsal dinner, the reception. Think about the cost of a wedding dress, tuxedos, flowers, music, wedding photos, the venue, and on and on and on. The cost starts to add up after a while. The average cost of a wedding in the United States of America, does anyone know? $35,000. In Washington, D.C., the average cost for a wedding is actually $45,000, which is only half as expensive as the average cost to get married in Manhattan, which is $88,000. 
So why do I tell you all of this? Why am I talking about uh, the costs of getting married? I tell you this because when we stop to think about all of these costs associated with a wedding, we begin to understand why I think it is the king in our story from Matthew's gospel account is so upset when his invited guests begin to make excuses as to why they can't come to the wedding. We're in chapter 22 of Matthew, and we hear Jesus offer another one of his parables. Jesus, as before, begins his story by by talking about something that was very familiar, something that everyone could relate to, a wedding. But but this isn't just any wedding, it's it's a royal wedding. And in Jesus' time, weddings were just as sacred, just just as joyous, and just as costly as they are today. They were big life events, and some weddings would last a week or two weeks or or even longer. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a marriage feast for his son. The king sends out slaves to remind the guests that the royal event is about to take place, but they refuse to come, so the king sends out more slaves a second time, but they start to make excuses as to why they can't come. I have to go back to my farm, one says. I have to go back and do some work. Another says some of them don't even take the slaves very seriously, and they mistreat the slaves, they beat them, and they even kill the slaves. The, The king is very frustrated. He's enraged. And so he sends his slaves back out a third time, but this time he says, go into the streets and invite whomever they can find, anyone who wants to come. Go out and bring them in, both the good and the bad, the text says. And in Luke's version of the parable, this parable is told in Luke chapter 14, that's, that's how the story ends. Jesus uses this parable to remind folks of the importance of being welcoming and open to all, especially the lowest among us. Blessed are you, Jesus says in that version, when you invite the lowest of the low in the world. It, it sounds a lot like what we expect Jesus to sound like. But Matthew, Matthew has Jesus taking a different turn in the story. One of the guests who does show up isn't dressed properly. He doesn't have the right wedding garment on. And so the king demands to know why he isn't dressed the right way. And when the man doesn't say anything, he's bound hand and foot, thrown into the outer darkness where there is weeping, where there is gnashing of teeth. For, Jesus says, many are called, but few are chosen. Woof. I like Luke's version a whole lot better than Matthew's version. But here's the thing. I've always, I've always been struck by the man's response to the king's question. The man, remember, has, has no wedding garment as he, as he was just welcomed in off the street. And when the king notices him, he says, Friends, why, why did you get in here? How did you get in here without a wedding robe? And what does the man say in response? Not a word. He was speechless. He says, he says nothing. And I've, I've often wondered if he actually had any interest in being at that wedding at all. What if the problem wasn't that he didn't have the right garment, but rather that he didn't want to put on the garment that he was given? Surely if he, if he were being forced or compelled in some way to come to the wedding, he would have been given proper clothing. What, what if he just chose not to wear it? John Calvin, the great 16th century reformer, says of this parable that that whomsoever the Lord invites, he also supplies with clothing. The brilliant priest and preacher Fleming Rutledge says of this parable that the, the problem isn't the party or the king or the outer darkness or even the weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
No, she says, that's, that's not the problem. She says, the problem is our unwillingness to put on the garment that God gives to each one of us. And that's because it's risky, she says. It's risky because we have to be stripped down. We have to be laid bare. We have to be made vulnerable. We have to be willing to be made new in some way. And that's risky for our lives. Or as the preacher at my wedding said to Catherine and me as he was preaching the sermon, if you want to have a successful marriage, and this applies to to life, I think, if you want to have a successful marriage, he says, then you've got to take your clothes off. You've got to get undressed. And that's an interesting thing to say at a wedding to a young couple. But he went on to say, he went on to tell us that, that once we've stripped down, once we've taken off the clothes of jealousy and anger and mistrust and self-importance and complacency and conformity, then and only then, he said, can you, can we clothe ourselves with Christ? Then and only then can we clothe ourselves as God's holy ones, as Paul says in his letter to the Colossians, putting on compassion, putting on kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We've all been invited to the feast, but the choice is ours as to whether or not we want to accept the invitation and clothe ourselves appropriately. I think that that what Jesus might be trying to tell us today in this parable is that, that participation in the kingdom of God means that we each have to be willing to accept God's grace. We each have to be willing to wear the wedding garment that God freely gives to us. It's, it's our choice. It's your choice. But but it requires being ready. It requires some work on our part. Many of you have likely heard the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer before. Bonhoeffer was born in 1906. He studied uh, at the university in, in, in Berlin. He was a brilliant preacher and teacher and Lutheran pastor. And when Hitler came to power in 1933, Bonhoeffer became one of the, the vocal critics of Hitler's regime along with many other Christians and people of faith. He was arrested in 1943 for his unwillingness to to stop speaking and writing against the Nazi regime. And in 1944, he was sent to, to Buchenwald concentration camp after he attempted to assassinate Hitler. Uh, And then in 1945, he was moved to the Flossenburg concentration camp. On April 9th of that year, 1945, just two weeks before the American soldiers would liberate that concentration camp, Bonhoeffer was executed at the age of 39. He wrote a number of books, a number of really, really wonderful books in his short life, but perhaps his, his most famous book is a book called The Cost of Discipleship, or sometimes just Discipledship. In, in that book, and I'd encourage you to get a copy of it if you've never read it before, it's really a, a wonderful book, um, Bonhoeffer writes about cheap grace versus costly grace. Cheap grace versus costly grace. This is how he defines cheap grace. He says, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Or to say it a different way, I think cheap grace makes no demands on our lives. And it's cheap not because it's offered freely to each one of us by God, but it's cheap because we don't put much value or stock in it by striving to live different lives. It's, it's not really that important to us. Costly grace, though, costly grace he defines in this way. He says that costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again. 
He says that costly grace confronts us in a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. Grace is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow Him. This this kind of grace is grace taken seriously. It's a kind of faith that, that calls us to follow, a kind of faith that calls us to act, to respond, to speak out when we see injustices happening, to, to work to make the world a better place. That's costly grace. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says to us today, is like a grand wedding and we've all been invited. We've all been invited, you and me and all the whole, whole world. But, but the, invitation, the invitation that Jesus gives us is a call to action. It's, it's a call to respond. And the choice is, is ours as to whether and how we want to show up. The choice is ours as to how we want to live our lives. No one can decide that for you. We can continue to wear our worldly clothes, our clothes of anger and jealousy and complacency. We can continue to worship our idols, our human-made golden calves, content with how things are in the world. Or, or we can choose to put on the garment of grace freely offered to each one of us. If we choose the latter, if we choose to put on Christ, it means that we've got work to do as that garment identifies us with a God of mercy, a God of compassion, and a God of justice. The choice is yours. Which do you choose? Amen.